The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Deborah Schwartz. Deborah is author of Woman on Top. Woman on Top, Putting a Ruthless, Greedy Man in His Place. Uh, and uh, the, the, actually, that's the, uh, the theme of Woman on Top. Uh, Deborah was born and raised in New York. She graduated from Tufts University, obtained her master's in history at Columbia University, and has a JD, um, a law degree, from Boston University. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Deborah. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, as I understand it, your book is a novel, but it's based on a true story, your true story. So it's really very closely paralleled your your life and and your experiences. Um, And just uh, one of the things that um, your book has been described as self-empowering, and I'm assuming self-empowering for women because your heroine um, is not the damsel in distress. That's not the theme you utilize in your book, but... Um, woman on top. So um, let's talk about the theme of the book and, uh, you know, why is this an important book, I guess, for women, women on top. I like, uh, women on top sounds good, just I like the title. (laughs) Oh, thank you. You know, it's interesting because um, the book is a novel and my life definitely inspired it. Um, When I was 35, my husband died of cancer and I had a two kids, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I was a lawyer. You know, I just, I was surrounded by people in the prime of their life, and I felt like a ship lost at sea. And the question is, how do you get back your footing? And I think women can relate to the book. I mean, men have too. Not just, you know, you don't have to be a widow. It's any time a woman feels that they're just lost. You know, the rug has been wiped out just lost their footing. How do you regain it? And there are many forks in the road that people can take. And I mean, unfortunately, some people go the wrong way. They, whether they resort to alcohol or drugs or sitting in front of a TV, whatever, there are other choices. Um, and what I try and do in the book is give women a sense that, you know, here's what in this fictional book, what this woman did, but in the end, she made the right choices, and it's trying to inspire women to do that. Yeah. Well, I like your point. It doesn't necessarily mean that your husband has to die at 30 when you're 35 with cancer, but the loss can be, I'm thinking about things that we, in the news particularly, women who are, their husbands in high play, political, well, in political situations, we're often seeing women whose husbands had affairs, and it's out in public, and it's a disgrace and shame, and you see these women kind of, portrayed as the victim, and you're saying in that kind of a situation, you don't have to be a victim. You can be the woman on top. 
Well, that's exactly um, what I'm trying to relate to is any woman. And I've actually gotten emails from, you know, women all over the country saying, you know what, I was, I'm a single mom for 10 years, and thank you, you've inspired me. Other women have written and said, you know what, you made me appreciate the life I do have, and to kind of get myself mentally prepared if anything did go wrong. But it really is a matter of empowering yourself so when you do move on, you make choices out of a position of strength rather than weakness. And in the book... How did you do that? How did you do that? Because I think it's really important. Let's really get very specific about how do you do that. Yeah, I think it is important. I think most of us or women would agree we don't always do it. But so how did you do it, either in the novel or in your real... I say real life, but in, 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 in reality, what did you do for yourself? Well, I'll tell you both the novel. In the novel, the, the woman, Kate, also loses her husband. And for a period of time, you know, she's in New York and she meets Wall Street men. And, you know, they have a lot of money. And I can't tell you how many women have emailed me and said, been there, done that. You know, you're automatically seduced. It's very intoxicating. So you run to a man whether they have money and it doesn't have to be money, but it can they appear, appear very strong or powerful, whatever it is that puts the rug back under you. But you're actually not evaluating what's in their heart. Who are they? Are they a good person for you? You're just saying, wow, thank you for rescuing me. And So, so you're doing this out of desperation? Is that what you're saying? Then yeah, you then I, yeah. yeah. And, and I can't tell you how many women do this. I'm, I'm sure you know that also, that, you know, women... Women make choices, and it would be so much better if they made the choice that, you know, in the book, the woman, when she's finally done with that man, does something empowering as she goes to Africa and climbs Mount Kilimanjaro, that you don't even have to do that. Whatever it is in life that makes you feel good and strong so that you can look at a man and say, who are you and what do you bring to me rather than I'm some desperate woman, will you have me? Are you saying that we make those choices after we've suffered a loss? Well, I'm taking your example. I'm going back to you. You lost your husband. You were married to him for, what, 10 or 12 years, and you had um, a good rela- a great relationship. And then I'm assuming that when you two met, this is, in, this is you, Deborah, right. that it would was based on a, not on a desperation, but on love and respect and all of those, you know, a, a mutual um, um, relationship that was based on really good values. And so, but you're saying that, I just want to get the premise of this, that, but then when women feel, when they suffer a major loss, then they make choices based on desperate motive, maybe, well, you know, desperately. Instance. If you look at women today who you hear that they're, you know, well, I'm in my 30s, the biological clock is ticking, I better get married and have children. And then they make compromised choices. And the pressure is on women, I want a child, I better marry somebody. And so they do make choices that are not necessarily good. And I know a number of women in their 20s and 30s who are already divorced because they did that. And... I'm trying to give the message of a woman feeling whatever transpires. They're dying to get married. They're dying to have a child. Something bad. They broke up with their boyfriend. You know, they lost their job. Whatever it is, 
that you try and regain your footing so you make decisions from a position of strength, not weakness. And you feel good about yourself. And then you look at a man and think, well, what does he bring to me? Not, oh, my God, thank God my knight on a white horse has arrived. Is, I mean, in your experience, I mean, do you see, I mean, do have you, I mean, I'm sure there are many women in your lives, those who make the good decisions and those who don't. What, what do you think the major difference is? I mean, do you think the way they were brought up, um, you know, their feelings of self-esteem, their own accomplishments, what separates the, the victims from, a great the, question. from the woman on top? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it's funny because at least in the book, the light bulb goes off for Kate later in life. Um, you know, sometimes life is circumstantial, so that if she had never lost her husband, that issue never would have arisen. And, you know, that's part of, you know, just luck and what happens in women's lives, whether somebody, you know, dies or gets to, you know, they go for a younger woman or they... You know, the man loses his job, and now the word is out there that men don't like it when a woman is more successful than they are. Um, Whatever it is that life may unfold, the question is, you know, is a woman, as you said, brought up to actually feel good about herself and therefore will make good choices? Is it upbringing? Is it circumstantial? I think there are so many things that go into making the cake. And whatever it is, I think that... Whether a woman seeks help, you know, with therapy or they can do it on their own, it's always that moment when they can stop and think, I need to feel good so that then I can move on with my life rather than trying to find it in somebody else's life. So how do you get uh, put yourself in a position so you're not seduced like the Kate in the story and uh, perhaps you as Deborah by this the wealthy uh, man, the Wall Street uh, figure, uh, somebody who can provide you with, I guess you feel like safety, kind of a safety net. Um, how do you avoid that? Well, you know, it's interesting because in my life, I did spend some time with some, some Wall Street men, and it is. It's intoxicating. And they can be good. Wall, they don't have to necessarily, we don't want to kind of put it, the kibosh on all Wall Street men. Oh, no, no, absolutely. I agree with you. Is that there are wonderful people. I mean, wonderful people who have lots of money and have wonderful foundations and do great things. I think I'm talking about the people who um, have earned that money and not done it caring about others, and there's a certain guile in, in their methods, and they translate it into the rest of their life. And having, you know, spent time with some men like that, it, you know, finally I realized that what you're, what you're doing, what I was doing, what women do, because so many people have contacted me and said, been there, done that, is you're looking at what's in their pocket, what's in their wallet. You are not looking at their heart, their mind. Who are you? And are you my friend? You know, do you have my back? Do you care about me? Rather than lifestyle. And I, I'm not sure if you saw Woody Allen's movie over the summer, Blue Jasmine, um, which was the story. Of yeah, I of, didn't see it, and I haven't see it, seen it. It's next on my list, actually. So, no, I haven't seen it. So, go ahead. Is that, is that part yeah, of the it's, story? Yeah, it's a woman. Yeah. It's a Bernie Madoff-type situation. The husband's very wealthy. The woman simply only cares about books and, you know, apartments and parties, and he loses all his money, and she's left 
absolutely with nothing. But she's not a good person. And so she, you know, she, she's woman on the bottom. She doesn't redeem herself. And I think that's so important. It depends on who you are. And you should look for somebody, you know, your good heart, your, what you would do for people. Why wouldn't you want a man who's, who's like that also? But I think women get frightened because they feel they, let's say they get, find themselves in a position where they're at a loss. They don't have a, a, a career that's going to provide them with a lot of money or support their family or their children, let's say if their husband dies or leaves them for a younger woman or whatever the circumstances or loses all his money. So, you know, in the context of where we are in our society for women, it's really difficult for us, I think, because we, even if we have the confidence, maybe the opportunities aren't out there. So we get scared and we get, you know, we need somebody who's going to pay the bills and maintain my household so that I can send my kids to camp and school. And, you know, all of that kind of is also part of our culture because we don't have access well, I mean, you do. I mean, I'm looking at look at your your credentials. For instance, you're a lawyer and a writer, and you know have wonderful credentials. And most women, or many women, and aren't in that position, so they get frightened. They get really scared. And I agree. You know, I was met a woman at um, a gathering recently for the book, and she said to me, she was in her fifties, and she had too many drinks, and she said to me. Um, <laughs> You know, she said, you know, the only reason I'm still married is it it has to be being single. And I said, I don't think so. But, you know, in other words, people make compromises with the devil. What you're saying is, okay, I don't necessarily want to be with him, but I don't have a great job and I want my kids to go to college, so I'll put up with him. It's decisions along the way, and I just think women need to make a good hard look at those decisions. Can you possibly empower yourself somehow, whether it's school or a better job or whatever it is, so that more relies on you rather than you relying on somebody else? It's, it's, I think it's a constant decision-making so that you don't settle into a pattern. So when you're 65, you look back and go, what was that? You know, it's wonderful to reinvent yourself. And really, nothing is permanent. I think it's great to reevaluate what you're doing in a situation. Yeah, I mean, we're always evolving. And I think one thing that you just said is important. You know, one wants to make an informed decision. And if you are going to make a pact with the devil and be with someone simply because they have means and and, uh, status and money, uh, think about what your alternatives are. Isn't that what yours? I mean, you can go back to school. Absolutely. In other words... I don't think you have to, you know, people have done amazing things in life life and reinvented themselves and tried to climb up the ladder, and sometimes it works. And I think at least dream, think. You know, always try and dream about, is it possible that I can, it may not feel safe for a while, and you have to just kind of sail away from the safe harbor and Dream about it. See if there are any possibilities to think of that you can then um, have some magic in the future that would empower you. Take a risk. Are we talking about risk taking? And, and right. it, yeah, it's That's important exactly to do it. that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, I, it, if it works, it would be wonderful. You know, if you never take a risk, you're never going to win. It, you take a risk and or dream about it. See if it's possible. Take the risk. You may just win, and um, 
It could feel great. There's so many wonderful stories of people doing that. So I think it's really a matter of can you dream about it? Can you think about it? Can you look around and say, am I really stuck here or is there something else? And why are we stuck? But why are we stuck now? We're talking about 2013. Isn't that amazing? We're, yeah, it is. And I'm thinking, Deborah, we're still stuck in some of this. And I, I agree with you. Uh, women are still stuck in this kind of morale, of, uh, sticky floor, morass. I don't know what you call it, but that we are still dependent somehow on a successful male to make our lives, um, to, I guess, to, to make our, have us so that we can live a, a good life or a, and, and feel comfortable and be able to raise our children and that we don't have the power somehow to do that on our own. I, I mean, it, it just, it, you know, these were some of the same issues in the, in the 60s in the women's movement, but we're still struggling with it. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, this same man who wrote Peter Pan wrote a very short book called The Twelve Pound Look a hundred years ago, and it's a story of a wealthy man. And the woman married to him um, learns how to become a typist. She leaves him, and she can earn 12 pounds as a typist after living with this very wealthy man. And she says to him when she sees him later, and he's already remarried some, you know, vacuous woman, she says to him, every man should worry when a woman has a 12-pound look, meaning I can earn a living by myself. I may not need you anymore. And that was written 100 years ago. I read that yeah. recently. I, I couldn't believe it. But really, I think, you know, I, it's so important, what, the message we pass on to our daughters and that... It's not just you need to be married and you, you need to have a job. You need to have something to make you, you feel good. You need to feel empowered. And, um, I mean, there obviously has been progress, but not nearly what really should be going on. Well, you need to feel empowered, right, and you need to know that you can make progress. And I think part of that, and you talk about your daughters, is uh, if they do some of that work before they get married or before they commit to a long-term relationship, um, you know, have that opportunity uh, as much as they can to have an education, a profession, a job that they, they feel good about. I mean, if you have that before, I think that if, when you, if and when you find the man that you want to be with and something catastrophic happens, you, you do have that, not to go back to, but it's a part of who you are. You have those strengths already, so you will call on them. You know, um, you know if you put yourself in the position when you're really young and dependent on, uh, on your partner, then it's more, I think it's more difficult to do that. Well, it's interesting because along with what you were saying about the lack of progress, there was an article in USA Today a few weeks ago that said that when a woman is more, I think I mentioned this before, a woman is more successful than a man. This was a study, I think, American Psychological Society, that um, when a woman is more successful, a man can't deal with it. And that it just, you know, it impedes women being in relationships rising to the top. And I recently read Lean In, you know, the COO of Facebook's book. Yes, yeah. And it's a wonderful book about women. I really loved it. And she mentions that her husband, she's the COO at Facebook, she couldn't be more successful. Her husband is incredibly supportive of her. And she said one of the most important choices you can make 
is the man you choose to marry. The man, will he support whoever you become as time goes on, as you reinvent yourself? Uh, that's a great example. And, uh, well, it's interesting. I've never had somebody on the show promoting someone else's book, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Well, really, I thought uh, it was but, really good. Yeah, well, you know, I was thinking about, and I've always thought about her, you know, Dolly Parton has a similar story. I mean, do you know who her husband is? I mean, I or know. can you... No. And if you look at her history, I mean, talk about someone who's successful and in her 60s, I guess. Um, she is still married to the same man that she met in high school, I think, uh, you know, when she was 18 years old. And this is the man behind the woman. You know, it's the opposite story of, you know, what we've been talking about. But she married the right man because obviously this is the support and the love and the encouragement or whatever it is of this man so that she could become the success that she is. And that, that, that's kind of another example, I guess, you know, similar, I, I don't know if it's similar to the CEO of Facebook, but that is an example of what we're talking about. The roles are reversed. I think it's wonderful. That's amazing. I also, I know recently of another situation of someone I know who, you know, the husband works and the wife has stayed home for 16 years well, from birth to when the kids are in high school. And she just was fuming. I mean, she just felt like, well, for six, he's traveling all the time for work and very successful, and she, a very bright woman, is doing nothing. And she just felt like, okay, the kids are in high school. They're in school all day. And she was taking it out on her husband, and I said to her, now this is all about you. Go find something that makes you happy. Stop blaming him. He followed his career. Now go follow yours. You did, I mean, her kids are wonderful. And... They're going to leave for college, and she's really going to have an empty nest. You need to have your own identity, and I think that's so important for women. I think also I do see it more, I think, with the a generation, let's say, in their late 20s and 30s. I mean, I see many more young men in the grocery store with the kids and the wife is working. Uh, you know, how they're getting along at home and how they adjust <laughs> to this or whether this is something that they chose, that's something else, you know, or me. But I, I do, you kind of see the demographics shifting in certain areas. I, I see a lot more men with baby carriages and um, either having, sharing things equally. Um, so there, I think there is somewhat of a shift. I hope so. I really hope so. And I think, I think women have gotten the idea of getting in, you know, jobs and succeeding and, and trying to do more of that. I mean, as time goes by, I think it's wonderful. Um, and I agree with you. I have seen many more men, because I live in New York, with baby carriages and strollers <laughs> and running through the park with strollers. So right. it's wonderful. Yeah, so it is. We are. I, I think we are making that shift, uh, and um, I mean, it is evolving. It is changing, but um, but I think the premise of your book is also very true. And I know m- women in that position who find themselves, and especially, and even if they're a little bit older. I mean, you, say you were thirty-five. Women who are forty-five or fifty-five, who there's a desperate quality to wanting to get married again and to have someone take care of them. And rather than just remaining single. Um, although I was married for 20 years, and people, my listeners know this, and divorced, three boys, all grown now, and I've had a partner for 27 now, I guess it's almost 27 years, not married. Um, and um, 
we have a great relationship. I mean, it's it's kind of maybe this is the kind of relationship you're talking about. That was not a desperate quality in terms of we had to get married. So exactly, I think that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I mean, once you've had your children, I'm not sure you need to be married, and this way you're not demanding anything like women or you know put a ring on it. I don't think that's necessary. I think because it's so easy to take the ring off that it's not the issue of being married when you're older. It's an issue of finding someone exactly as you described your partner. It's wonderful. But now, young women are get are here's an, another piece. I'll comment on this, Deborah. But what about the women who decide, well, I'm not going to get married, I'm just, but I do want a child. So a lot of young women are having babies uh, without just that they need sperm, and that's <laughs> they don't want man, you know a, a husband or a partner, but they just want the sperm and they want to just have babies on their own. Now, I don't exactly know what the statistics are for that, but that's another kind of trend that. I, I, I mean, this is anecdotal, but I think that's that's happening more frequently. Yeah, I think a number of those women are the ones who reach their late thirties and feel like, well, I haven't met him, and I want a child, and I'm not going to wait another five years and find out I can't have a child, and they go ahead with it. Um, I raised my kids, and they're just—I mean, knock on wood—they're just wonderful. So I have nothing wrong with single parents. You know, I think that whether you agree or disagree with our president, he was raised by a single mother. Um, I think that single parenting, you can have wonderful children. It just, I, don't, I try not to judge people. You know, if a woman is 38 and says, I haven't met him and I want to have a child, I think, I think it's great they have a kid. So they don't feel angry and resentful their whole life. They never had a child. Um, it, that we, what you mentioned that a woman goes, well, I never want a man in my life. That's a whole other ball game because what's the message when you bring up that child about relationships and love and men might not be so healthy. So exactly, yeah. <laughs> I'm well, not too well, sure about that one. That, I want to uh, your website DebraSchwartz.net because listeners can go to that to get more information about your book. I think there's even an excerpt. Um, yeah. Um, that you can read. Uh, so um, go to the website. Um, Woman on Top is the, is the title of the book, and Deborah Schwartz is the author. It's been great talking to you, um, and um, I, I think we explored a lot of our areas. I don't know if we, we came to any conclusions, but uh, hopefully listeners will think about what we said. Um, and um, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. We're going to take a short break right now. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you are listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. We'll be back in a minute with our next guest, Rita Anya Nara, and she's the author of The Anxious Traveler. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? 
Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at Voice America and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to the katherine zox show if you'd like to join our conversation this morning call now the toll-free number is 866-472-5788 that number again is 866-472-5788 Welcome back. You're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me next is author Rita Anyanara. She's the author of The Anxious Traveler. Uh, Rita is a, and she describes herself as a former armchair traveler. She struggled with anxiety, chronic stress for most of her life, and she had many unsuccessful attempts at clinical stress management and therapy. Finally, a doctor encouraged her to confront her fears one at a time by touring the world. So we're going to be talking about her tours of the world. This is what her book is about and uh, struggling with the anxiety but still being able to overcome that and get out there. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Rita. Thanks for having me, Catherine. Well, I was fascinated with your anxious traveler because I'm the opposite of that. I grew up, I love to travel. I've had, I mean, I'm not sure if I've traveled as many places as you have. Maybe I have, but um, I've had, I have... So talk to me about it. I mean, you were a person who was so stressed out, fearful of getting out there doing in the world. Was that, is that how this all started? Yeah, it wasn't so much about uh, fear of terrorism or fear of flying, which are two of the most common things that affect the average person, but it was about social anxiety, about meeting people from other cultures and what I would say and, and how they would perceive me, and about dealing with all the unknowns that come with traveling. I mean, where you're going to be, where you're going to stay, what you're going to do if if something goes wrong, if you're pickpocketed, if your flight is canceled... All these different things would go through my mind before I would try to book a trip, and I I ended up backing out so many times and going back to my favorite travel shows and my, my coffee table travel books, and um, at, at some point it, it got uh, so frustrating that, um, you know, I talked to my doctor about it, and um, he suggested that I, I start out small, start out with traveling with someone that I like and, and just see how it goes, and that it, if it, if I really got scared, I could just come back early, but that I really needed to give it a try. Okay, take us on your journey, and how old were you? Because I know 
traveling is the thing. I mean, people in high school, there are trips. You can take high school trips, spring vacation, Christmas vacation, um, you know, with groups of kids from your school and go to places. Families now travel a lot and, and of course, kids in college. So let's take it back because obviously you must have felt you're frustrated. You're, what are you sitting in your living room and saying, I can't go anywhere? How old were you? And when did this kind of all begin to evolve? Well, I was 23 in the spring of 2001 when um, I had uh, some very major problems with with panic attacks. They were interfering with my job, and um, I wasn't finding the right medication. And, um, you know, I was seeing my doctor, I don't know, weekly, and he he suggested that I try to take a trip um, with my sister. And um, I, I agreed to it just because I was... You know, I I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what else to try to to break through, kind of this cage that I put around myself. So uh, I had a wonderful time. I went to Vancouver, Canada, which was um, just a three night trip, and um, I really felt like that was a breakthrough. And uh, unfortunately, um, as we all know, um, with that being 2001, the the 9/11 attacks were were just a few months later, and that. Um, unfortunately shut me down for quite some time, during which I was still dreaming, but I was a little afraid. And I didn't really pick up as a traveler again until 2007. Oh, so you, that was a long period of time. You're talking about six years, and that was... Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you said you were frightened not necessarily because of external things like terrorists and, and those kinds of things, but you were anxious because you didn't want to be put in a situation with people who you felt you couldn't converse with, talk to, you'd feel uncomfortable, right? Social anxiety, fear of the unknown. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I worried about language barriers, um, even though now I, I realize how many people around the world speak English just fine. And uh, I just, I, I worried so much about crime, about being followed, uh, certainly being um, a younger female, especially back then, I was worried about my personal safety. Um, and another major thing was worrying about the physical impacts of travel. There's jet lag, um, chronic or, or travel fatigue. There's acclimatization issues. Often if you go somewhere, uh, problems with altitude, with different allergies. So uh, people that have anxiety, they also tend to have sensitive nervous systems and uh, some some physical and environmental sensitivities, and I was also very fearful of of dealing with all those things and and getting run down and and being unable to to feel physically well enough to go out and enjoy myself as a tourist. Well, Rita, what do you say to people? Say, okay, you have a job, you're a college graduate, you live um, west coast. I'm assuming and. They say, well, then why do you have to travel? What's, what, why, you know, you're going to be an anxious traveler? Forget about it. Just stay home, um, you know, surround your, yourself with friends and activities in your own hometown. You don't necessarily, why do you have to get away? Do you have to get away because of your job or just to have fun or, you know, why do it? What's, yeah, I mean, even with modern technology and all the video conferencing and Skyping, people still need to travel quite a bit for their job just to make a real connection with people, to move forward, to to build relationships with clients. And, um, you know, with 
in terms of being a tourist, you know, there's so much on YouTube, and there's, you know, so many good travel channels. Uh, with you know, on HDTV, you can see every detail, you know, just like you're there. So, yeah, the question becomes why, you know, why go anywhere? I mean, the technology brings it to your doorstep. And um, there's still never going to be any substitute for the real thing. And um, if, if someone is so vehement about thinking and believing that, they should they should really ask themselves what they're afraid of and what what are those lurking fears that might just be keeping them home because, um, you know, traveling remains one of the, the most beloved hobbies of, of people everywhere. We, you know, we're, we're born, you know, with this curiosity about, you know, what is, is out there in, in, in the world, what's, you know, on all these different continents about um, our, our fellow man, you know, thousands of miles away. So, um, you know, there's 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 no how, well. How is going. I mean, how is how has traveling changed you? How has that opportunity and those experiences? And you've been to forty different countries in uh, every region of the planet, which is, uh, you know, I think is is commendable considering all the stress and anxiety that you had over to overcome to get there. So what has it done for you? How is it, ex- I, and I think it does this, but how has it expanded you as a person? How does it make your world better for you, for your relationships, even for your job? Well, Catherine, if, if I hadn't had this breakthrough, I, I wouldn't be able to talk to you. I mean, I'd be so nervous. I, I couldn't even get on the phone. I'd be stuttering. I, I'd, you know, I wouldn't be a very good guest. I, I just... Um, I wouldn't be able to to talk to people over the phone. I wouldn't have been able to move forward with my job, um, with being able to, uh, you know, write my stories as a freelance as a, a freelance writer. Um, I probably would be afraid to to meet new people, just to have friends. Um, what travel fundamentally did for me was it, it externalized me. It got me out of my mind. It got me out of these. What if this this endless internal cycle of of fear and uh, you know thinking of the, the worst case scenario so that I could I could actually live I could get back into my senses and I, I could be you know a, 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 a well rounded person. I think another thing that travel does, or uh, it, it, what it does for me, is I mean when you go to different countries, you're kind of forced into. Well, obviously you are. Um, meeting up with all kinds of new situations, but also you have to make different kinds of decisions, and it forces you to, to, to do that. You know, it exposes you to different, uh, as you say, different people, different climates, different foods, um, and, uh, and, and also different, I think you have to put, you're in a position to do, to problem solve, maybe things that you don't do if you're just at home. Um, and not expanding yourself. So there are a lot of things that happen when you travel. You, you always come back from a country, I think, uh, a different person. You know, you've added a different piece to your psyche, your experiences, um, and, and it matures you. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And you certainly become more resourceful when you go abroad and, and something comes up and you have, you know, a, you know, a couple of suitcases with you if you have, you know, a major problem with, um, I don't know, I've, this is a funny story, but I've had major problems with, um, with my shoes. I've had a, a lot of surgeries, and I've, 
had had problems with uh, just being able to walk and tour and, and having to um, make repairs to my shoes when I'm traveling and, and being able to um, go to uh, foot doctors, you know, in different countries. And um, so certainly, yeah, you become more resourceful and you, you learn a lot from different people. You, you, you see a different way of doing things with almost every country that you go to. I think you put your own life in perspective as well when you get home. I mean, I spent, this is many, many years ago, but I was in the Peace Corps in Columbia for six months. And, uh, you know, we didn't have water half the time. And if we did, it was contaminated and we got very sick and bugs and I can go on and on. So that experience has so colored my life in terms of, you know, when the lights go out or we have a storm and it, it still carries with me or this, or, you know, I think, I've been in situation here in, in the suburbs of, of not being able to uh, have hot water or whatever, hurricanes, tornadoes. It really doesn't bother. I mean, I, having had that experience on a daily basis of not having access to food and water and health care system, this is a piece of cake, <laughs> you know, living in the United States. So it gives me a whole different perspective. Um, I was going to ask you what, was your most challenging trip? Now, maybe just getting out there the first time going to Vancouver with your sister, but besides that, like what or what experiences do you have on one of your trips, let's say, in these 40 countries that was the most challenging? Well, it probably happened um, just this month. I was in uh, Turkey and Morocco, and, um, you know, those are not really easy countries to, to visit um, alone as a woman, and um, I certainly had challenges in Morocco with just um, very, very basic things like getting a, a, a taxi that had seatbelts in it with, you know, someone that wasn't driving like a maniac. So there's, there's certain, you know, safety concerns um, with travel that can, can really, you know, impact our, our plans and our comfort level. And so I, I had some certainly... The stressful moments just getting around um, Casablanca and Morocco, just uh, making sure that I um, got to where I was going safely. And um, it, it becomes a lot about how well you can communicate, and you know, not necessarily in the local language, but just um, communicating your needs and negotiating and uh, trying to be as understanding with other people as you can while. while getting what you, you really need to, to move forward. What was the most exciting trip you've taken? I mean, I don't know if you, this, you can answer this question. Is there any country that um, you would say was the most appealing, that you liked the most, that you had the most fun? That, Or, I mean, each country is different. Each place you go is a, a different kind of an obvious experience and challenge. So, But is there any one country that you would say, wow, this is just, this was like, you know, the the best trip I've ever taken. Yes, absolutely. And I don't even know if I can call it a country, but uh, I went to Antarctica last February, and that was the, the trip of a lifetime. It was just the most amazing, amazing experience. It's, Antarctica is a continent, right? Have you been to all the continents? I guess you... Uh, that was my goal that I, I had when I was a very little girl, and I, I finally achieved it this, this uh, last February, just getting to the white continent down there on, on the cruise ship. I, I understand when you take I haven't been to Antarctica, but when you are on those cruise ships, or you are, sometimes it can be pretty rocky, right, with all the icebergs and, and, and stuff that can be 
difficult. I mean, if you, if you get seasick, but um, that's one of the challenges. Oh yes, there was a, a line about forty people long in the in the gift shop um, on the first uh, day of sailing down to Antarctica from South America just to get to the, to the dramamine and to the bonine <laughs> and the motion sickness pills. So um, yeah, it, it's that's um, that passage between South America and Antarctica is one of the roughest in the world. My question now is, because you were talking about the beginning of the interview, you said, well, you had gone to a, a doctor, I assume it was a therapist every week, who encouraged you to do this, to get out, to overcome your anxieties by traveling. Um, have you overcome your anxieties to the point where you don't have to be in counseling, or, and I'm making this assumption, uh, in the same way that you did before, because this has been a therapy in and of itself, traveling? Yeah, I mean, I've had the same psychiatrist since I was 14, and um, I don't need to and go to any... And how old are you now? I'm 36. Oh. So I, I don't need to go to any classes. I, I still do take medication, and I, I believe in, in medication as part of a balanced approach to managing anxiety, and um, I, I'm really proud of that balance, and so I... I, I wouldn't tell anyone to do something extreme and just, you know, book a trip, you know, 8,000 miles away if they have <laughs> Don't PTSD, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. but just, yeah, just to, to start out small, to keep the relationship with their doctor, to f- find someone that supports them. It doesn't have to be as long a relationship with a doctor as, as I've been lucky enough to have. But, um, you know, again, just to... to to take that that moderate approach because it you know if you try to overdo it um, then you can kind of recoil and you you won't want to leave your house so uh, just starting out with smaller trips and and building up and you know I think a lot of people want to take a far flung trip not maybe not to Antarctica but somewhere where they just feel like you know they've been they've been dreaming about going to this place for ever since they were a child and that and when it Finally, you know, comes true and they've made it there. Just they, they're 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 never quite the same. It's, it's take just... a trip. Take a trip <laughs> instead of popping the pills, medication. But how has it helped you um, in terms of your own personal life, interpersonal relationships? Let's say, um, you know, with with friends and, and perhaps uh, being with somebody else, long term, short term relationships. Has that helped or? If it has, in what way? Because you've been able to get out and be with other people in other countries and socialize and, you know, language barriers and all that. How's that helped you in your own, your own circle of friends and relationships at home? Well, I was always what I call a follower in my life, and, and I've gradually become a leader. And I have that confidence now of, of being able to tell people um, what you know they can do and and what they're capable of doing. So I, I've, I've been told that I I can really inspire people now because I've been inspired myself and I've had that breakthrough. And so, um, you know, I, to be honest, Catherine, I I still struggle a bit um, just with, um, with with dating, with um, you know meeting men and and having a long term relationship. But that's something that I I really want to work on. I want to find someone who's wants to travel, you know, as much as I do and has kind of the same outlook. And um, so that remains a challenge for me. But in terms of of work and being able to have friends and, and, you know, being able to externalize um, has has been 
a huge breakthrough for me. I I had troubles so much in my my teens and my early twenties with being able to have friendships because I was so wrapped up in myself. I would frustrate anybody who tried to befriend me because I. I sounded like a hypochondriac in many ways, and I, you know, was always asking them what they thought of me and, you know, could I do this? And, you know, it, I lost a lot of friends that way, and, and it's so much different now. I'm just, I'm a more generous person. I, I can think from someone else's point of view just because I, I've met so many people from around the world that I can, I can step back and see someone, see something from someone else's perspective. Have you, um, Rita, do you have contact with people that you meet on your trips? Do you maintain those contacts? I mean, it's easier now on Facebook or just you know, over the Internet. I mean, have these people, because you do so much traveling, have become a part of your life? I have a small handful of uh, emails and phone numbers I've collected from seatmates on airplanes. And um, generally, you know, you, you're on a plane for eight hours. You, you tend to strike up a conversation. Um, so... Um, that that's that's a small group of people that I I really in, enjoy you know having befriended from you know the different flights from different places and um, I can't say that I really um, have that that many people that I've befriended like in uh, like hotel managers or um, you know people I've met uh, abroad but I'm I'm hoping that. You know, I'll I'll be able to do to do that more, and um, you know, other, other than the cruise that I took in February, which is kind of different, where um, you know you you have the time to interact with people day after day. Um, I don't quite have that level of friendship, but I, I do have the people that I met on the cruise, and uh, I'll probably run into them on another cruise sometime in the in the near future. Yeah, you probably will. When what is your next trip? What are you planning? Um, or, or maybe you haven't planned anything yet. And also, do you plan? I do plan your trips like by the year, or you just you know you see something on National Geographic or wherever you see it, or you you know you read about something you decide, oh, I'm going to go. Or is it something that I'm going to do three trips a year, 2014, or I'm going to do one or whatever it is? Is it planned well planned ahead, or something that's more spontaneous? Uh, it is well planned ahead, and I I always take three to four trips a year, major trips. And uh, my next one is to um, to India, and then Southeast Asia, uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, and Singapore. And um, I'm really looking forward to that, just because it's a completely different part of the world than what you know I you know I normally go to. I I tend to um, you know stay in the Europe, Middle East, um, the South America area, um, but. Uh, I, I definitely have not seen as much of Asia as I would as I would hope to, and, um, and and I believe for people that have stress and anxiety, it's better to to plan well ahead, um, to have the reservations in place um, with the times that they're comfortable with, so um, they they can kind of put that out out of their mind and and start doing the research on, you know the the places they want to see early on and booking tickets and having everything organized so they're not worried about that and they can just focus on having fun when the, when the time comes. Yeah, well organized. And would you suggest also having information? I mean, there are so many places, whether it's folders or fromers or online travel websites so that you have, you're going to India, for instance, and, and so you have information before you get there uh, about 
obviously you haven't experienced it yet, but you know what's there and what's available and what's not and foods. And so you, you have some expectations, realistic expectations. Um, I, I, I give you an example. Well, this summer uh, we went to Corsica, which is, uh, you know, French, but one of the things that I wasn't well informed about that everything, almost everything has to be paid in cash. And uh, that became a real problem when we got there, and I hadn't researched that, and it, it was a real issue because they very seldom took credit cards. So it became a problem that we ended up solving, but that was an example, plan ahead. And, and it really, you know, we spent a lot of time having to resolve getting cash um, when um, we should have been vacationing. <laughs> Um, so you really need to know what, it's helpful to know, you know, what you're getting into. I, I, I assume you would agree with that. Absolutely. And one of my best um, preferred sources of information is Wiki Travel. And uh, it's, a, it's a website. Um, I mean, it, obviously it's, it's affiliated with Wikipedia, but it's got so much practical information on uh, travel practicalities, um, you know, what kind of travel snags, very common sense information, including, you know, different, uh, you know, currency, you know, just the kind of the issue you were talking about, um, you know, in, in a couple sentences worth of tips. And it's also got a lot of information on, on uh, crime, opportunistic crime and what to avoid. And, um, you know, I'm not affiliated with Wiki Travel, but I, uh, I find that it's, Wonderful source of information, um, just on on getting getting the role low down, not just you know what what's at the tourist attractions. Yeah, I think that's important. The anxious traveler, and I'm going to describe it again, is the expert guide for anyone stuck between the wilds of their imagination, which you were, but no longer, obviously, having traveled to 40 countries, um, and they're. Um, people stuck between the wilds of their imagination and their longing to see the world. So I, th- I think it's, I, you know, it's really commendable what you've done because I think it's, you know, just in listening to you, it is a real struggle. And I'm always someone, um, and this is why I wanted to have you on the show, encourage people to get out there and to travel. I think it's, it's just transformative, even if you're not anxious about it initially, something that I've always encouraged my children to do, and they do do it. I mean, because we've, they've done it as children and now they do it as, as adults, so it can it's therapeutic, I guess is what you're saying. Um, uh, we have to say goodbye in a couple minutes. So, um, Rita, what website should uh, listeners go to if they want more information about where you've been, where you're going, what you're doing, your next book? Yes, I have a blog. It's thebravetraveler.com, and I update it weekly with tips, advice, guidelines on. Uh, dealing with travel stress on uh, specific places, issues where they might encounter um, anxiety or or travel snags. And um, my book is available um, through that website. And, uh, again, I I update it very frequently um, so that people are getting kind of my up-to-date snapshot on on the travel scene. And, um, again, I I encourage uh, everyone to go to thebravetraveler.com. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Rita Anyanara, author of The Anxious Traveler, and uh, you can go to her blog, thebravetraveler.com. We're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week. We'll see you next Wednesday. 
We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.